0: Hello and welcome to A Reason for Hope. We are live with you for the next hour to receive, and um, with the help of the Bible, answer your questions on God's Word, the Bible. That's right, your questions guide our time here together. You can send in your questions through our various platforms, and we are here to delve into the Word to find those answers. So any question that you have, any honest question, as long as you know we're looking for the answers in the Bible, that's where we go for um every source of wisdom, <laughs> the highest source of wisdom. So maybe a question on a, a verse of the Bible, maybe something that you're going through in your life. Um, you'd like to honor the law, but I'm not too sure how to do that. Maybe something going on world events, or maybe events in your world. Any question um, that you have, we welcome them as you join us on our various platforms. Uh, my name's Dave Robson. I will be personally fielding those questions as they come on in. And with us today, this is a rare combination. <laughs> yes, Bo, we're on cameras. Stop playing. Uh Bo Willette, who's the the assistant pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. How are you doing? Not sure. That's the three shot. That the, uh, that's, that's, you, the, that's this is me. your personal camera right here. There it is. How are you doing, Bo? Good, man. You're doing doing well. good. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: good to be on. I, I, I know I left uh you and Peter on kind of Peter solo yesterday.
0: Yeah. But it went good. It
1: went all right
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like a b plus i love you know, it, yeah show, and that's what yeah, it I, was, I aim for <laughs> i thought it
0: was great what was what was challenging for me was to be you know doing my job as host over here and fielding the questions but also talking wanting you. It to yeah yeah i, yeah, I know it's always chatting. difficult to talk to me it is so, and know. the extra challenge of yeah no yeah. but i wanted to just be chatting and like oh i've got a, yeah. a job to do over here too but also with us peter martin uh, pastor and author and all that good stuff. Bible teacher, how I don't are you think, doing today? I don't think
1: he said, "Author about me." Sorry,
0: let me back up. Bo will the the assistant pastor oh and author.
1: What am I? Chop liver.
0: <laughs> Motor. <laughs> hey, <what is> <laughs> don't use that joke. <laughs> okay, they're both pastors, authors, Bible teachers.
1: We just we just love Jesus. We, man. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's it.
0: Who cares? We're just here. We're just here. Well, it's great to see you guys. Mm-hmm.
1: Chop liver. Isn't that from? Um, <clears throat> I always thought that was from Scrooge or something. I don't know where it
0: originated from. No, it's not from Scrooge. Actually, I just, just read right that liver? Liver. No, It's not from that It's
1: period.
0: not from Scrooge. Huh? <laughs> yeah. That's
1: what I was thinking. I've been watching Scrooge like every day for the last like two weeks.
0: <laughs> Trying to get in the Christmas spirit? It's, or? it's
1: the Muppet Scrooge.
2: Oh, that's <laughs> so, the real one.
1: That's the, that's <laughs> the
2: one that Dickens was most faithful. Yeah. to Dickens, that's what I heard. The Muppets, you
1: know? man. I mean, we watch me, me and Sil watch it all the time. And I thought I heard chop liver. So I maybe it to, is in the
0: Muppet version. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So my other role here is to try and have conversation be productive <laughs> <laughs> and not just talking about Muppets. <laughs> it's,
1: it's because I'm on the show. Every time I'm on the show, it gets uh, it gets it way gets out silly. Of well, the two the silly. two of
0: you guys. I mean, but, yeah, it's not it's not going to be very polished. But but
1: we are excited, you know, to answer Bible questions. I mean, it's Christmas time, yep. and people—I'm uh, sure—have a lot of questions on the Bible. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. you know, a lot of people are saying "Happy Holidays." I noticed that a ton. Right. So uh, yeah, I don't know if you've been out and about, but everybody's like hey, "Happy Holidays," yeah. and I'm like, "Hey, Merry Christmas!" And I'm like, "No, Merry Christmas, Christmas, man.
0: <laughs> Keep the Christ in Christmas," <laughs> I right. say, and so then I drive off.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I just noticed it's—it's uh, it's really um, the g- new generation definitely has, you know, embraced the idea of like happy holiday. Yeah. You know, and uh, definitely have moved away from the Merry Christmas. I think now more than ever I kind of see it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well here in the States the holidays kinda start with Thanksgiving. In England it's we don't really have a Thanksgiving. So you, you guys thankful. say the holidays yeah. <laughs> it starts back in Thanksgiving and just goes through yeah, to what does yeah. England have to be thankful for? for <laughs> <right>. <laughs> you skip that holiday. Yeah.
1: Oh my god. I guess that
0: you guys are independent. That's what we're thankful <laughs> for. No.
1: You know what I did you know what I did want to share with everybody too yeah. um is that they're um A lot of people always wonder about the timeline of the birth of Jesus because if you do read the the gospel accounts, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially, um, uh, well, not Mark so much, but Luke and Matthew um a lot of people go like hey i kind of get a little confused and even me uh, over the years you know you're kind of like oh well what was the date of this or when did this happen or when did they go to egypt or when did they come back or when was the census in bethlehem you know when did they have to go to bethlehem and things like that and it can get confusing you know so i have always recommended that people go to answers in genesis they have a wonderful timeline there Mm. that you can check out and kind of just comb through it Mm. do a little bit of further bible study so that's answers in genesis.org answers in genesis.org and you can just type in like christmas timeline and it's cool chaffee and hodge does a does a a really good timeline i've always enjoyed looking at it sometimes i've printed it out for people before but if you are out there and you do have questions about jesus's birth and the timeline things like that the significance of different events it'd be cool for you yeah
0: absolutely sounds like a great resource yeah well, before we go any further, let me uh, uh, let you know how you can join us. Obviously, if you're hearing us and seeing us, and you've already found a way, but um, I've actually been working on one of these fancy things, like Adrian has. Look, check this out. I haven't finished it yet, but I can show you what I have so far. You can join us on our website, the Calvary Christian Fellowship uh, A reason for hope is a ministry of, of Calvary Christian Fellowship, so you can find us there if. Um, Again, CabinChristianFellowship.com. Look at that animated. Ooh, I, did, and I did like how did, it scrolled across. You like that? <laughs> that yeah. And if you powerful. go to, did you see that too? Watch yeah. Live. Go to our Watch Live tab. That that's will great. take you to our live page. If we're off air, you'll see a countdown to when our next live show is. And you'll see the schedule over there on the right hand side. But if we are live, you'll see us um, live. And there'll be a chat function as well. You can go directly to that link at ccf 2 Um But that is linked to our website as well. And that's as far as I got with that <laughs> yeah. good job but though. i'm working on it. thanks i've also been working a lot on christmas i'm the the music minister here at calvary christian fellowship so christmas yeah. week is you know my head spinning with uh silent night and joy to the world and that yeah kind of and
1: people still can get a hold of us at the email
0: questions for hope at gmail.com that's right questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com also on facebook calvary christian fellowship search for us there we're there as well on youtube the channel is uh, a reason for hope so that's our youtube channel you can follow Pastor Scott, who's not here today. Pray for him and Sean. They're both kind of under the weather, as a lot of us have been, kind of passing it around like a like a football um, between us. But uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. He posts updates um, uh, from the highlights from the show, updates on uh, prophecy things and world events and that kind of thing as well.
1: Yeah, um, he's real active on the Twitter, especially during the A Reason for Hope shows yeah. when he's not on. He's always on there kind of going over what we're talking about and um tweeting it
0: yeah you must be old because you said the twitter the twitters we're old men. he's on the twitter on, on. on the youtube isn't that what it is <laughs> on the yeah you just say twitter you don't say okay. the Twitter. You know.
1: well no it is the twitter it's famous now <laughs> the,
0: <I> <laughs> yeah and i'm teasing I'm isn't
1: teasing. a guy named elon musk didn't he buy it yeah see it's the Did twitter he? goodness,
0: <laughs> goodness. <laughs> well peter you want to pray for us today before we into questions
2: yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah. after 10 minutes of (laughs) fluff (laughs) let's get into it uh dear god thank you so much for the time that we have here together that we get to spend it focusing on your word and fielding questions that revolve around serious issues that are happening in the world as well as in people's lives Hmm. i do pray that whatever answers we give would be ones that honor your word and your truth that would reflect your will and the way that you speak God, and those listening would be able to be blessed by that as a result. We're thankful
0: for you, God, and in your name. Amen. 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 Once again, um, please send us your questions in as you join us on the various platforms. Get your (laughs) questions in early. We often do run out of time, so send those in. There's no dumb question, as long as it's an honest question, and as long as you know, we're going to delve into the Bible to find uh, the answers. So I wanted to, as we uh, gather some questions here, ask you guys about um, running Light Ministries. Uh, Bo over here is the founder of Running Light, Peter's been very heavily involved. In fact, you're you're the what director now. The I don't know. You don't know. Something. titles are meaningless. <laughs> you guys don't care about titles. <laughs> They're involved in it. Yeah. Um, but would you guys tell us a bit about Running Light Ministries? It's been, it's just such a awesome thing and been a blessing. I mean, to me personally as well. But
1: yeah, Running Light started probably 15 plus years now, and Running Light is based off of a passage in the Book of Hebrews, chapter 12 that tells us to throw off the weight and sin that so easily snares and looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And it talks about for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So running light is the idea of throwing off the weight in the sin that so easily snares us. So that's where we get the the, the title, our, yeah, running light. And so it's not about running as in, like, you know, get on your kicks and go <laughs> run up a hill. It's, it's about running the Christian race unencumbered. And sometimes, you know, I've always enjoyed Peter's uh, messages on that passage um, in Hebrews chapter 12, because you know, a lot of times we just think of sin, but we don't think of weights. Mm-hmm. And I like how you've always made a real good distinction between those two. And sometimes there's things that just weigh us down and we have to deal with those things in our life. And and that's really the idea is just running unencumbered. So we seek to uh, offer Bible-based accountability uh, to people, um, resulting in better joy of life to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really it. And it's not... You know it's kind of interesting because running light is not making up something new you don't have to go to running light to uh, find joy in the christian life um, at all Um, we certainly uh, believe that the bible is sufficient um, for our salvation and our sanctification Mm -hmm. so it's not a sexual program you know, unlike many other programs out there that are kind of like, you need to get off being sexual, sexually immoral, come to us and we'll help you out. Our answer is you need to be involved in your church. And, uh, and that's really, the church has everything, the manifold grace of God. First Peter chapter four, chapter 10 tells us that, that within the body of Christ, there are gifts mm. and those gifts together really make up the manifold grace of God. It's God's wonderful gifts through the body of Christ that help us and, and minister to us and heal us and things like that, and, and and so we're not we're not making anything up. Basically, Running Light was just uh, really an endeavor of me and some uh, sisters and brothers that just wanted a place where we can go and discuss uh, our sinful inclinations, and so. Peter jumped aboard a long time ago and ran with it and has done a wonderful job. And he runs our men's group on Tuesday nights here at the church. And I do a Tuesday night Zoom group Mm. for men. And then we have ladies who do ladies groups, one in person, one online in a Zoom meeting. And then we have groups for wives too Mm. uh, that want to meet together and uh, going through difficult times. Mm. So, but awesome. we've done a lot of education in public schools. We've done a lot of writing. Oh my, you yeah. know, Peter's obviously written two books, one full-blown workbook, um, and um, and we both done many more different writings and videos. And mm-hmm. I mean, the podcast alone would make up so many books. Um, our, you know, we we're on two hundred podcast, I think now. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Really. So,
0: yeah. Man. So it's, that's awesome yeah.
1: Uh, yeah so they can go to
0: runninglight.org mm. or betterpleasure.net yeah it's better pleasure right here yep um has some of your articles here and, and stuff
1: so like yeah that. you can see the articles right there and and they're all uh you know we're all just looking at things through the lens of the bible sex before marriage actually we did that one on a reason for hope a few days a couple right. of days yeah, ago but you everybody's heard the the kind of slogan love is love and um so we talk about that what does love is love mean And is it a really rational uh, kind of slogan? And so we get into that. But we have great ones on. I think on abortion, we we did two. Yeah. Right. One on abortion in men, and one on abortion in women. Right. And I thought I thought those were incredibly eye opening.
2: Yeah, those were really good. You Mm.
1: know, so um, yeah. I mean, if people are in you know want to kind of know about culture and what the Bible has to say and how relevant the Bible is to our culture. That's
0: what Running Light's about. Yeah, great. Well, thanks for sharing. Anything you want to share about that? Add to that? Yeah, just a
2: couple quick things that I'd like to add on to what Bo just shared. So as Bo said, I've been involved for the last 10 years. And I guess some of the unique aspects of our ministry is that the only people who are involved in the ministry are people who need it, (laughs) which is kind of interesting. So we're not creating something for others. We actually created something for ourselves. We created something to benefit us. Uh, for as Bo sh- says, we have sinful inclinations as well. And uh, we all, uh, me and Bo, struggle heavily in the sexual areas. So uh, we wanted to, Bo created a, a space where people can get together and, like he said, have accountability before God and in the church community that they, we would be able to fight against our sins and to run after Christ. The other interesting thing about our ministry is we really emphasize not the badness of sin, but the goodness of God. So a lot of the sexual ministries that you're gonna have, they're going to have many, many articles and videos about how porn is like the worst thing ever and how sexual sin is gonna destroy your brain and how it's destroying culture and society. And don't get me wrong, me and Bo talk on those topics from Mm -hmm. here uh, every now and then, but for the most part, the idea of running light is we're not running away from something. Uh, That passage is not about fleeing something. It's about running towards a goal and an upward call that's in Christ. Mm -hmm. So we see, and that's also why our our ministry has the other name of better pleasure. We see God as being more pleasurable than the sins that we're running away from. So we're running towards God as our great pleasure and our great treasure because he's worthy.
1: Yeah, so uh, (coughs) uh, as Hebrews 12 talks about running light, Hebrews 11 talks about better pleasure.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Right. Living by faith. And so, um, yeah, uh, as Bo said, we're kind of an information hub. We have a lot of resources. We have a lot of articles, podcasts, things like that to help people. But originally, you know, you started the ministry to be an outlet for pastors specifically Yeah. because our view has not been like, we want to set up some sort of a curriculum that's going to be a catch-all for everybody. It's always been, we want to empower the church do the role that the church is supposed to do which is to provide that that sanctuary that place where people can be accountable that can they can confess their sins and that they could fight the sins that are within their their lives and one of the things that we usually harp on is that biblically the ideal of confession within a community that is seeking to help you and encourage you towards betterment is present throughout the bible it goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus in which the people of Israel were called to sacrifice to God for their sins, and they had to confess as they were sacrificing in a public place. The priests had to sacrifice and confess their sins before they would clock in, if you want to put it that way, at their temple job. You get into the New Testament, and you see encouragements towards confession throughout. James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, Galatians six, verse one through two, Hebrews three, verse 13, right? It's all over the place in the New Testament. Yet in the modern day, this kind of individualistic day that we live in where people are really value their privacy and they really value their autonomy. Confession has really gone out of vogue within the church, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. People go to church to appear righteous. They don't go to church to work on their sanctification, Mm -hmm. right? So they don't attend church saying, man, I'm a mess and I need every resource available to me. Man, I need to <laughs> confess to people. I need accountability. I need a Bible study. I need to do everything I can to be more like Christ. People go to church to be like, okay, I'm going to do everything I can to appear like I'm a good Christian, yeah. and then I'm going to leave and continue to do my life the way that it was. So that's, that's what we're trying to change is, is church culture.
1: Yeah, and when we look at passages that, you know, simple passages, Jesus teaching us to pray, saying, you know, Father, forgive us our trespasses Mm -hmm. as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or his half-brother, James, that Peter quotes in chapter 5, confess your sins one to another. What we're saying is that, and what I was wanting to do at the beginning was to show that as a pastor and as an assistant pastor, associate pastor, that this is not just for the fringe person in the church but this is for me mm-hmm. that me as a leader that the, there is no passage of scripture that our lord taught that is like absent from the leader that the leader right. somehow gets to a place where he goes oh you know what i'm so glad i don't have to you know repent or i'm so glad i don't have to you know say father forgive me from mm-hmm. for a sinner you know, I'm so glad, I'm like, I'm done with that, you know? And that, no, these things are, are as Peter says, they're shared in the New Testament for the universal church. Right. You know, so when we read Jesus's messages to the churches in the book of Revelation, there's a couple of them that are commended, mm. but on the whole, all of them are <laughs> rebuked. Right. I mean, you know, they're all corrected. And it's not like the leaders aren't corrected. Right. No, the leaders are part of the body of Christ. Right. There is no partiality with God. There is no favorites with God. And so, you know, I felt like as a leader that uh, w- whether I was a leader or not, I I knew that the right thing to do, biblically speaking, was to take a step of faith
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to learn how to confess my sin in a more public uh framework yeah you know within the church and so um you know of course i went to you know my senior pastor i talked to our board of elders um i got in front of the church and shared uh these things um you know i i wanted to uh start you know a ministry that people could go to including myself Mm. you know to be able to act out you know because I mean let's face it I, I always thought confession was like 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 kind of like a bad thing right you know? right
2: <laughs> And it is funny cuz uh, there, there's a reason for it you know the big pull away from confession actually happened after the reformation <clears throat> So Protestants looked at the confessional booths of the Catholics, and they're like, oh, that's bad. You know, they looked at the idea of penitence and things like that as a bad thing, and they're like, well, you know, we just go before God. We don't need to confess to our brothers in Christ. We don't need to—we have we have accountability with the Lord. And it pulled into, like I said, that individual mindset, and it cut people off from access to the resources that are within the body, as well as an acknowledgment that, again, when you're in a—one of the reasons why we confess inside the church is we recognize— That my life is not my own right i'm a member of the body of christ i'm integrated as paul says when one is elevated all are elevated when one is disgraced all are disgraced right Mm. so my sin doesn't just affect me it affects my church community and so confession within that community is very important accountability within that community is very important so we're trying to bring that back again like bo said we're not doing anything new no we're just trying to be as true to what the scriptures teach us to do as we can and to help people see it especially for this issue you know cuz obviously we deal primarily with sexual sin and sexual sin is is one of those sins that are pretty easily hidden right? you know especially with the pornography being as rampant yeah. as it is today it's These so yeah. so easily hidden so easily hidden and so easily accessed you know i was talking to someone last week and he was like, yeah, I was just kind of grilling at my, at my barbecue and I was just like flipping through some porn on my phone. Like it's so accessible that you you can do it in like a mindless fashion. You don't yeah. even have to like, it's not like going to a strip club back in the day or buying a magazine. You could just, you mm-hmm. just kind of flip it on. It's right there. You know, you just flip through it. So having that consciousness of, I want to keep a mindset of purity towards God. I want to have a fellowship of guys or, or if you're a lady, girls surrounding me. Helping me in this endeavor—that's really necessary. So, absolutely, all, the, all those resources, like Bo said, they're available on our site. And if you're local in Tucson and you struggle with this issue, please contact us. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I think one of the passages that always threw me off was First Timothy chapter three, that says a bishop. You know, which is uh, the term uh, where we get the word episcopalian, episcopos in the Greek. Um, so, if you've ever heard of an Episcopal church. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I, the word comes from is bishop. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But it says a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife temperate, sober-minded, et cetera. But when I first heard that term blameless, the way I always heard it taught was like, you can't have like yeah. anything going on in your life. You got to be blameless, right? like without any blame, yeah. you know? And it made me like kind of jump back a lot in the first 10 years of my pastorate, where being a newbie, really coming out of a very secular, progressive Southern California background and then jumping into the church and then hearing people teach that passage that way, it made me go like, wow, Like, like, what does that mean? Oh, it must mean that you get to a level in mm-hmm. the Christian life where you literally don't have any kind of sin issue. Right. So there's certain passages that really are irrelevant to you. You know, so when Jesus tells us to pray to ask for forgiveness, oh, we don't need that one anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus is just talking to the poor sap who still needs forgiveness, you know, but or James doesn't matter to us, or other passages just don't really matter. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, whatever. You know, these different passages, you know. But, and then I thought, man, is that really what it's saying, is that they're without sin? And then you go to Paul and his writing in Romans chapter 7, and then you got a problem because hmm. was Paul a, an elder? was yeah. Paul a bishop hmm. you know because um, he talks about him dealing with sin mm-hmm. um, and the, and you know his own sin and then yeah. Peter you you pull out some great <laughs> ones with at the end of Paul's life yeah. you know I love your teaching on uh, first uh, uh, second t- or first Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 right uh, that where Paul at the end towards the end of his life says he calls himself at the end of his life a chief sinner. Mm-hmm not at the beginning of his life right, right. or his christian walk. Right. And and that's a great point to pull out. Yeah. You know, cuz I always read that and I was always like, "Huh, that's interesting. You know, he calls himself a chief sinner, so he must need to confess his sin." Yeah. So, what sin is he doing? Mm-hmm. Like what sin is he is he talking about? You know, and what is 1 Corinthians or 1 Timothy chapter 3 talking about? What is the blameless That he's talking about and i have come to believe that the list that he gives is actually what he's talking about right you know in the idea of being blameless Mm. you know so when he says blameless then it's comma the husband of one wife temperate sober-minded and he goes down the list Mm. you know of hey what needs to be a part of that person's life their character and pastor scott's always taught that really well the idea of you know looking at character qualities Mm. you know in this section Mm. and um so those were kind of my how my brain was kind of going, yeah. and um, and it still does today, right? You know, I still I think me and you still chip away at this all the time, mm. you know, yeah. kind, of, kind of these thoughts and the theology behind them.
0: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you guys for ministering in that way. It really, I think it has. It's uh, created a path for a lot of people and like a safe place, I guess you know, and especially with well with pastors, like you say, you know, people in ministry because there is that i guess that uh temptation or pull to be like well i should be now blameless you know <laughs> i can't i can't be yeah, a, yeah. a minister that struggles with pornography or lust so i need to hide that and then that distance grows more and i mean we've seen a lot of men you know fall because of um sin that just allowed to grow and grow and grow and also for for women as well there was that book um every man's battle right. you know and it isn't ev- just every man's battle um and i, I feel I feel sorry for women who struggle with it. And like, well, I can't come out with that because it's supposed to be a man's struggle. But you have groups as well for for women, Um, not only for wives whose husbands have struggled and they need support in that, but for women who struggle with lustful things and pornography and that kind of thing too. So anyway, bless you guys for for doing that. Peter and I have done some
1: serious podcast on when uh, that book was very popular. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we we right off the bat went like, ooh, I see a problem yeah you know you know because it's you're right it's not you know lust knows no gender mm. in the bible lust knows no gender in the bible and and so you have we to it's a absolute farce an absolute 100 percent farce that women somehow don't lust mm. it's unreal and you know what bothered me and my wife is early on in our Christian life, when, when we would go to marriage conferences and hear people talk about that men struggled with their eyes and when women didn't, um, you know, that was just one of those things that bothered me so much. Mm. And I, me and Sylvia would walk out of there going like, what, what are they talking about? <laughs> like, where are they from, man? Mm. Like how, like every woman I knew growing up, you know, lusted after boys. Mm. I, 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 I don't know a culture where young girls didn't Google they're, you know, I guess they call that Googling or something over
2: oh, yeah, something. Once again, showing your age. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
0: the Google, the Google, they go to the Google.
1: I mean, you got you got a daughter On that's the interwebs. young. Oh yeah. You know, is she? does she, she doesn't deal with lust?
0: Oh, absolutely. Boys, boys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
1: mean, I mean, I mean but Boy crazy, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's like, to me, it was just really weird to sit in a giant auditorium hmm. with a marital conference. And they're like, you know, men struggle visually you know and that's the man's struggle and and but women they struggle emotionally and i'm just like where like i don't know where this comes from yeah like um i just it wasn't true in my world and yeah. maybe that's anecdotal yeah but i didn't see it really true biblically either
2: yeah
1: you know really? i just i don't see where you know adam and eve was our eve was tempted mm-hmm. she had a desire yeah. the first sin was a woman who obviously lusted after something. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the lust of the eyes.
1: The Stay lust pretty. of the eyes. So yeah. it's like, I don't know. To me, it was just, I missed it. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah. So uh, that's another thing we try to do. I, I know we got to get to questions, so we'll just kind of <laughs> wrap it up here. But uh, we, we try to bring a little bit of nuance to this topic because in most ministries that exist to a, that address sexual issues, they paint things with really overly broad brushes and they make things overly simplistic. And that is very destructive, right? An an overly simplified truth can sometimes be more damaging than just a flat-out lie. So, um, Bo mentioned a couple, but I'll mention a couple more. You know, like uh, when, when we say like struggling with porn, that's such a that's such a broad thing to say. You know, of course, there's there's so many gradations within that statement that it's not even funny. You know, like of course, there's a difference between someone who watches heterosexual porn versus someone who watches bestiality. Of course, there's a difference between somebody who watches, you know, again, the, the heterosexual kind of normative pornography that we would think, versus somebody who watches child pornography, right? The guy who watches once a week versus the guy who watches nine hours a day. Of course, there are gradations within the sin, they're all evil, but the decisions and the ways that we talk about it have to be a little bit more complex than just, well, he struggles with porn. <laughs> um, and, and right off the bat, just by using that phrase, we know how to address the problems, like no way. I don't know I don't know what kind of porn that guy's watching. I don't know why he's watching the porn, because there are so many different reasons as to why people go to it. As to the most simple, which is just it's fun for them, to overly complicated reasons that we've heard. <laughs> right. right. So uh, we we try to give some nuance to it because it is it is one of the big issues of our day, and we wanna help individuals. We don't want to create just like a cure all that's gonna help everybody in, in every facet of their life.
1: Yeah, we're not in it to make money.
2: Right so anyway that's good that's and we good haven't not <laughs> <laughs> mission
1: accomplished can, it's been a huge loss financially you can request our pnl
0: yeah. <laughs> i have that i can put it on the screen no, that's not true we do have questions coming in i uh, hope that helped you out and again Hilarious. uh betterpleasure.net or reach out i mean anyone. Any okay let's move us on if yeah. you'd like to be part of that ministry uh question from eve which is a, a Very appropriate name for the question here. (laughs) The question is, when Adam and Eve named all the creatures, did they really name all of them? Did they know about the ocean? Were there creatures in the ocean? That's a lot of creatures. Yeah. To name. So.
2: Yeah, very good question. So in the book of Genesis, when it talks about the naming, you got to remember that Adam actually performed the naming before Eve was created. So the purpose of the naming was God wanted Adam to have a role of subduing the creation. So Adam was able to participate with God and that God creates the animal and then Adam gets the opportunity to name them. The other reason was to show Adam what kind of a partner he would want. So God brings all these creatures to Adam that Adam could dominate and subdue, but God says it's not good for man to be alone, and he creates Eve because Adam didn't need a creature he could subdue. He needed someone comparable to him. So there's a really cool uh, idea present within that passage of the equality between men and women. But at any rate, when he names them, what we believe just from like a – answers in Genesis kind of perspective, right? So if you're if you're an old earth creationist, what you would believe is that uh, this naming process that Adam is doing maybe is symbolic. Maybe it just references the fact that man is naming creatures as we come across them. Uh, or it could be the idea that, well, you know, maybe Adam just kind of named stuff around him and that was it. But if you're a young earth creationist, you you take that passage pretty literally and you read it and you say, well, in the beginning when God creates the animal kingdom, He's creating these really, really broad categories that then have evolution within them. Meaning, God did not create the horse and the zebra and the donkey. He creates just the ancestor of all of those animals. And Adam is able to name that one. And then from that one animal come all the others. Or, you know, dogs are a little bit easier to understand. There's like 10,000 breeds of dog. Well, Adam would just name the wolf, right? He would just see the one, uh, you know, ancestor to all the dog, uh, the dog progeny, and he would just name that. And the idea that God is calling or bringing the animal kingdom to Adam would also infer that God brought sea creatures to him. So again, he's not bringing every single species of fish; he's just bringing the one fish that all the other species of fish descend from. So. Uh, really interesting question, though. That, that's how a young earth creationist would, would read it.
1: Yeah, and I'll just read you the verse 19. It says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name.
2: Oh, it doesn't mention sea creatures. It doesn't. That's kind of funny. I know. I never noticed that. So
1: Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. Yeah. But for Adam, there was not a helper comparable to him. And then the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall yeah. upon. So Adam.
2: I guess yeah, I stand corrected. I guess he yeah. didn't. I yeah. guess he didn't name sea creatures.
1: Yeah. So it seems like sea creatures uh, are not mentioned in that passage. Yeah. So, I, I mean you know i guess it i mean you could be right it could be something that's just silent and just we don't know yeah you know um but if we just take the the verse i guess really just literally literally you know just flat out what it says it sounds like um you know where adam was and his you know where the animals were created that were by him Mm. you know um because the world at that time was not like the world today right where there was Creatures seven thousand miles right, away, right. <laughs> you know, um, everything was right there. Right, and so God, you know, it's interesting, but God is walking in the midst of the garden. Right, at this time, it's I know that's what a concept. It's really cool, but um, so he does bring them to Adam. Right. And Adam does name the creatures that are on the land, the cattle and those right. in the
2: field. So Adam doesn't have to hunt them down. and <laughs> No, he doesn't have to hunt
1: them down. So yeah. absolutely. But we, we don't see anything with the sea creatures at this time. Mm-hmm. So, um Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting <laughs> question, Eve, thank yeah. you.
1: Yeah, so hopefully that helps. I mean, yeah. you know, and I think Eve just, you know, sometimes it's best just to take it for what it says right. and yeah. just kind of walk away and go, hey, it sounds like, you know, maybe the sea creatures weren't uh, a part of that. I don't know, yeah. you know, but um, it doesn't mention it.
0: Yeah. yeah, we don't know every single, like, the details and in and outs of all those things, but yeah. to take it for face value. Um, We have a question from Torbeth, and I'm, I'm not too sure, Torbeth, what the question is. I'm sort of trying to figure it out, but she... She said she had a, a, a comment question from uh, Monday's discussion. She said, an atheist I know commented on your question of why sexual sin outside of marriage, like incest, uh, pedophilia, and bestiality is wrong. He said it's because our ancestors didn't know better. And we now know about germs, viruses, mutations, et mm-hmm. um, How How should we respond? So do you guys understand what? Yeah, the question no, I, is in that- I understand the
2: question. So in other words, he's trying to construct a morality that is not found in any scriptural text. Right. So he's saying that our ancestors utilized religious texts in order to understand their morality. Mm. So instead of just saying like, I think we shouldn't do this, they said, well, I, I believe that God is kind of telling me not to do this. But then later on, we started to figure out reasons as to why that was bad, mm. like uh, pedophilia Bestiality as well as incest. So, the problem with his argument is that it obviously doesn't get you very far. So, when you say, Well, what about germs and things like that? Well, now we actually have instruments that would allow you to have sex with an animal that you wouldn't get any germs or you wouldn't get any viruses. Mm -hmm. We have means by which an incestuous couple, right, a brother and a sister, a father and a daughter, could have sexual relations without procreating, which is what makes incest so negative, is that they procreate, and because their genetic material is so similar, it could propagate defects within their DNA. But you could say, okay, well, fine, that's wrong. Well, what's wrong with, say, a a father and a daughter having sex if they don't have intention to bear children? Uh, What's wrong with pedophilia if the child is consenting and Freud argued that children are sexual from birth and therefore they are consenting to their sexual development. Mm. What's wrong with a 13-year-old consenting to have sex with a 30-year-old? Mm. Uh, what's wrong with that if they're, they're both consenting to it? And again, the negative would be that you could maybe procreate uh, on accident, things like that. Well, what if they prevented it, utilizing different materials to do so? Uh, Same with like you can even push it really far and say, well, what's wrong with necrophilia? What's wrong with having sex with a dead body? So if you're going to just start with I'm going to argue my morality simply by what makes sense, you're going to have to take your conclusions to their logical ends. And most atheists are unwilling to do that. One that is, and I appreciate him for it, is a guy named Peter Singer man he really he's uh he's an ethics professor at princeton and man he takes his his conclusions to their logical ends and it's frightening right when he talks about what these principles really mean another guy historically is nietzsche right so Friedrich nietzsche in um in germany when he was arguing about the concept of what he viewed as the death of god he said well there is no morality he named his book beyond good and evil mm. Because he's like, there is no morality. If God isn't there, then everything is permissible. So why can't I do these things? All there is is just the ability. If you have the ability to do it, then it becomes right for you. It's just what someone can do. Right. So you know, if you want to argue in that way, if you want to say there is no objective morality, all there is is just what makes sense for me, fine. But just admit that. Uh, just say this is where my morality comes from. It's just, It's just what makes sense to me. Great. Uh, there's an argument that a Christian could have towards someone like that about the importance of objective morality. Um, From a societal perspective, I do try to encourage those who don't believe in God to understand what it really would mean for society if we threw out all religious connotations of our moral system. Mm. Um, and, And again, I encourage people to read Friedrich Nietzsche. He's a little difficult to read, but please read him because he really walks you through it. What happens when God is dead? And by the way, He's kind of rejoicing that God is dead. He's, he was an atheist, mm. but he is telling his fellow atheists, you're running off the fumes of Christianity. Mm. We need to get rid of it. You guys say that we should love our neighbors. That's stupid. We need to be Ubermenches. <laughs> we need to be supermen. Yeah. We need to just shape our own reality, and the will to power is all that matters, right? So that was his argument. So again, if you want to just say it's just what makes sense to me, again, there are societal, uh, societal implications to it. But usually when I'm talking to someone like that, I always come back to, look, I don't argue for Christianity because it is pragmatic. Meaning I don't argue for Christianity because it's better for society. I argue for Christianity because it's true, Mm. right? And you're right. If it's not true, then let's just pull from it what we can and then move on. Um, But if it is true, then we have to take it seriously. But
1: yeah, I think a lot of people make the argument that hey, incest, you know, started in the Bible, and then it kind of, then you see it kind of dwindle away in the Torah hmm. um, through various laws. Specifically, if you read Leviticus eighteen, yeah. um, and you get into the Torah, the law of Moses, hmm. you get uh, a very clear idea that incest is not a part of that. And some people do make that argument of like, hey, well, it's changed, so it must be a changing thing. Right. So the reason why we do it, we don't do it today is because <clears throat> things change over time. Mm-hmm. But really, really, we run into a problem with this, and that is because the law of Moses, the New Testament tells us, now we know that whatever the law says, this is Romans chapter 3, verse 19, says whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. So really what the law was doing is the law was just showing and restraining the evilness of people's hearts. Yep. So even though incest started all the way back, you know, in the very beginning, it wasn't God's intention, so to speak with, with it's human malice and human, um, anger Mm. and hate, you know, to go this direction. Mm. Um, Cause when we think of incest, a lot of times, like it's hard for us to picture like a pure incest, like Mm. a purity in it. Right. Like to be fruitful and multiply and like a purity, like if Adam and Eve did not eat of the the fruit, hypothetically, they have children. That's the first commandment, be fruitful and multiply. Mm. And then, you know, is their children gonna have children? You know, they would have intimacy within, with themselves Mm. one man one woman that is the framework that's given in genesis just one male one female for life Mm -hmm. to bear children so is that what would happen now the answer could be well yeah that could be what happens but it's not there's no fall right so there is a a world that we just don't know right but Mm -hmm. but since the world is fallen and we get into cain and abel and their stories and the the different daughters that Eve and adam had and and the heart of human beings was corrupt from the from that point on mm-hmm. so it's not like the incest was great It's not like it was a purity at all.
2: Which again gets into a major distinction between the Christian who's arguing and the atheist who's arguing. So from the Christian perspective, we believe that man has a fallen nature. So therefore, instinctively, we don't naturally want to do the right thing. And that sexuality actually needs to have safeguards around it because it's easy for man to abuse sexuality Mm. to the detriment of others. To exercise sexual power over other people for my own benefit and pleasure. Does that happen historically? Yes. Yes, it does. Right. So, so Yeah. So if you try so, yeah. to
1: create if you try to create the incest, perfect, pure system, right. like so many weird cult leaders have tried to right. do. Right.
2: Right? Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's still what you're talking about yeah. because there's
2: something wrong with us. But from an atheist perspective, they don't believe that man is inherently fallen. Right. And so it's much mm. easier for them to think in these terms of, no, there were like these arbitrary moral commandments placed above us. And if we want to ascend, kind of again, like a Nietzsche idea, if we want to ascend, we got to throw them off and we got to just determine for ourselves what's right versus what's wrong. Uh, Kind of rise to the taunt of Satan in the garden. You could be like gods knowing, discerning both good and evil for yourself, right? So that's, that's an interesting perspective. So once again, though, we're arguing on a platform, a foundation of saying, we believe these things are true That's why we're arguing this way. But that's from a societal point. Uh, If you want to, Torbeth, if you want to listen, last week we talked about mere Christianity. Uh, In in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis actually talks about how you can use morality to argue for the existence of God. Mm -hmm. But it's not the way that most Christians argue for the existence of God using morality. So most modern Christians butcher his argument. And what they do is they say, if you're not Christian, you can't be moral. Of course you can be moral if you're not a Christian. Tons of people who are moral are, are moral who aren't Christians. The, the point of C.S. Lewis's argument for objective morality is we don't think of our morality as being arbitrary and societally created. right? When I get mad at someone for robbing me, I don't say, that seems wrong to me that you did that. right? We say, that was wrong. You did something inappropriate. right? When the Nazis were on trial in Nuremberg, and their lawyers were arguing, saying, hey, this just seems wrong to you guys, the fact that we gassed a bunch of Jews. Like, it didn't seem wrong to us, and it's our country, and you invaded us, so who are you to tell us that we're wrong? And they answered back, and they said, yeah, but there's a law above the law. There's an objective standard for human humanity that you are subjected to, and your laws are subjected to. Yeah. So that's something that we got to wrestle with. So uh, Torbeth, yeah, I encourage you, if you haven't read mere Christianity, read it, understand the moral argument. That could be a way you dialogue with your friend, but just try to get him to be honest with his position. You know, (laughs) like if you're going to say, hey, I'm just developing my sexual morality from what I think is best, then just say that, right? But then who are you to forbid other people? Who are you to tell me that I can't do that, that someone else can't do this thing that you find gross, um just let them do what they're gonna do
1: right yeah and i'll just say once again i'll reiterate that point that you know the law the torah the law of moses when these laws were put in you know again romans chapter 3 says it so clearly that for by the law is the knowledge of sin right you know that's why they were put in it was to show that all from adam to moses there wasn't an absence of sin there mm-hmm. was sin, right. you know, that's what it's trying to point out, mm. yep. it, it, you know, through the Torah. Um, and so some t- sometimes people, again, argue like, oh, well, it started off like, you know, this way and then God instituted it. So it must yeah. change.
2: So it must be a changing. Well, I, I think he's more arguing from the fact that society's just shift. Yeah. Society's yeah. shifting. Because he doesn't believe in God. You're right. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he you could even make
1: the argument like, you could say, well, hey, the Jewish, they they switched, you know, they, they switched from the time of Abraham to the time of Moses or something like that. Right. But, uh, you know, yeah, the bottom line is the bot—the reason why the law is there is to condemn all as sinners. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's right. the clear mm-hmm. thing, you know, from the Bible's perspective anyway, yeah, from, yeah. you
2: know. Yeah. Well, you know, and... Um, I like what Moses says when he gives the law. He says that he has given us this law that we might live in the land and prosper within it. Uh, so it's for our good. Um, the argument of Christians is that the law simultaneously does two things. It simultaneously condemns us because we know this is the way that we ought to live, but we don't. Hmm. So Paul's argument in Romans 1 through 3 is it's not just the fact that we read it in a book and we say, oh, like I wasn't supposed to do that. Oh, well, it's in my conscience, in my heart, I know I'm not supposed to do these things, but I do them anyway, mm. right? That's, that's what's condemning me. It's not just, it's not simply the law of God. The law of God just expresses what my conscience is already telling me, which is that I am guilty. I'm doing things that are wrong, and therefore I am in need of forgiveness, and that is only given to us through the cross. But yeah,
0: yeah. Well, great thank you guys uh great question to thank you for being part of the show and for your question uh question from yari i love how the, sh- the show just takes all these good <laughs> <laughs> turns. turns turns um balaam's donkey talking this is a question sweet around that sweet um was Such it the donkey sweet. itself was it an angel or god speaking through it or was it a demon since balaam was a so-called man of god probably involved in uh, superstition. So the whole account of Balaam's donkey talking.
2: (laughs) What's all um, that about?
0: Really, really good question. So
2: this is from the book of Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, you have this interesting character named Balaam, who is a prophet within the land of Canaan before the Israelites come in. I'm sorry, he wasn't in Canaan, but he was in the area outside. And um, I believe it's the Moabites who hire him out. And so essentially the Moabites understand that they can't take Israel in a fight. So they ask Balaam to come. He's a known prophet in the area. They ask Balaam to come and curse the people of Israel. Now Balaam tells the king, hey, I can't say anything that God hasn't instructed me to say. But the king's like, hey, I'm going to give you some money and we'll just see how this thing rolls. And so you see Balaam starting to compromise already to go along and say, well, you know, I'm I'm not going to say anything that God doesn't let me say. But you see him coming, knowing what the guy wants, knowing what God already believes and doing it anyway for some money. And while he's going there, God wants to really impress upon this guy. Look, these are my people. You do not curse them. You say what I tell you to say. I don't want you to go in the first place, but if you're going to go, you better obey me. And so he has an angel standing in front of Balaam that Balaam can't see and As he's going towards it, the donkey keeps veering off and running him into the side of a mountain. Mm -hmm. And Balaam starts cursing the donkey, which I love. He he starts hitting the donkey, and then the donkey starts talking to him. It says, man, why are you hitting me? You know, like, what's (laughs) what's going on? He starts talking back to the donkey, showing that this guy's just kind of lost it in his rage. But essentially, God speaks to him and says, look, the donkey just saved your life. If you would have kept going, this angel would have taken your head off. And it's just, again, to impress that hey, you better walk carefully in what you're doing. But the question is, is what was talking in the donkey? Did God give supernatural sentience to the donkey in that Mm -hmm. moment so that the donkey could talk to Balaam? Did an angel come into the donkey and talk to Balaam through the donkey? Or was it a demon or was it God himself? Mm -hmm. The text doesn't really say. All the text says is that the donkey spoke to him. So, we don't know the means by which God allowed the, the donkey to speak to Balaam, but we just know that the donkey spoke to Balaam. Yeah. <laughs> we know what the donkey said, and we know why he said it.
1: Yep. Yeah, and I, I just, verse 28 says, the then the Lord, now it's interesting, <coughs> the angel of the Lord is the angel, by right. the way, that stood in front of the donkey's path. So, a special angel, angel of the Lord, right. if you study that. But then it says, um, uh, who answered the, who asked the question?
0: Um, It was Yari. Yari. Yari, Yeah.
1: yeah. Yari. It says, The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey in verse 28 of Numbers 22. Right. So it's using the the capital L O R D. Mm -hmm. So it's saying Yahweh opened the mouth of the donkey. And, and,
2: uh, yeah. Once again, like we don't know. How he did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, was so, yeah it was miraculous. So, what is miraculous. Yeah. But we just don't know what specific means God used to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And that's okay.
2: And that's okay. That's
0: okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Yari, for, for being a regular on our show here. Um, one more question. We should have we've got about five minutes here or four minutes to go from a question from Neil. Is it okay to lie to those who go against Jesus in violent ways? The justification would be that one could do more good by lying in order to live. For God another day, and that God would understand. I guess I think of the persecuted church jumps to mind. They're huh, kind yeah. of lying, meeting in secret, going against the law. You know, so, is it is that still a sin to lie in those in those ways? Yeah,
2: let me give a quick answer. So, in in ethics, there's concepts called like deontological ethics. This is from like Immanuel Kant, who believed that what morality means is just subjecting yourself to written laws. So there are written laws out there, whether they're divine in origin or human in origin, and you just subject yourself to it in the, the strictest possible way. And any violation of it means that you've done something wrong. Mm. So for him, for a guy who's coming at it from that type of ethic, he would say, no, the Bible says, don't lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Therefore, no matter the consequence, you tell the truth. Yeah. Now, The Bible has a more nuanced view of morality. The best place that we see this is actually in the New Testament, where Jesus is going with his disciples and they're eating on the Sabbath. They're actually creating a little snack for themselves in the wheat fields. Mm. And the Pharisees get mad at them. And Jesus, first of all, he he knows that what his disciples are doing are fine. He knows it's, it's okay. But to even take their side, to be like, okay, fine, let's say it's wrong. He's like, have you not read that in the Old Testament... David ended up eating the bread of presence with his men mm. uh, before uh, while he was fleeing from Saul. So in other words, God had given a commandment that the bread of presence inside of the temple was only for the priests. David wasn't a priest. He was on the run and he was hungry, and he ate the bread anyway. Mm. So what Jesus is saying is that the ethics in the Bible are a little bit more nuanced. And he lied. And he lied in that whole story. He does the <laughs> whole narrative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, he feigns madness to escape death. He. There's a lot of deception there, as well as another example would be Rahab.
1: Yeah, he well he lies to the priesthood and he tells yep. the priesthood that hey, they ask him hey why are you here man like
2: and <laughs> he told, he, yeah he he's lies. like oh well you know <laughs> I'm just kind of hanging out and yeah, he's like Saul sent me Saul sent me and then and, you know if you got any food and a sword that'd be cool and know? check out
1: the priests like believe him of course because he's David right and and so they believe him but all those priests die got killed
2: yeah yeah
1: because Saul found out that that they helped out David. Yeah. And that lie that David told, yeah, got all those men killed.
2: And we see in Jesus and <laughs> Jesus quoting the story and appropriating yeah. what he's showing is that like even though there were these consequences and even though David violated the law, he acted in a righteous way in mm. that story, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, so again, it gives I, a big nuance to the wow. ethical question. So yeah, is it right for a Christian to lie when they're facing death? And the answer is yes. There are times where Christians do that. There were in the Holocaust, Christians hid Jews. Yeah, uh, right. So there, there are absolutely times in which it is right. It is more right for someone to do something that violates God's command in order to preserve God's higher command. Mm. Right. So if you're if you have to look at two commands, you're like either I'm going to preserve life, which is the highest command, or I'm going to preserve my honesty. I'm going to preserve life, right? mm. I'm going to choose the higher ethic yep. in that particular
0: situation. Mm. It's a difficult conversation for sure, but that's how we look at it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's
1: Very a good, good answer, man.
0: Yeah. It's great. Well, we've come to the end of our time. Both, thank hey, you. Hey, no problem. Yeah, Thanks, Peter, Dave. thank you. Thank you all for joining us and for your questions. Wanted to mention that if you're looking for somewhere to fellowship next uh, this coming weekend, it's Christmas. We're going to have a, a Christmas Eve service here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. We're right by Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. If you're in the Tucson area or, you know, like to drive distance. Um, we're right there, 6 p.m. before we're going to be having some cookies and a bit of a hangout and, and uh, fellowship before. both trying to escape when he's on <laughs> You can if you want. That's okay. And Christmas Day as well. We're having one uh, morning service at 9.30 a.m. Not our usual three services. Just the one service there on uh, christmas day as well so you're very welcome to join us bring a friend if you're in the tucson area we'd love to see you uh, but for now thank you for joining us on reason for hope oh thanks again peter thank you we'll see you back here tomorrow same time same place god bless you guys.
1: you've been listening to a reason for hope thank you again for joining us as
2: we continue our journey through god's word one question of the heart at a time